Welcome to the Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart podcast, where healthcare meets business, with your host, me, Dr. Karen Litzy. And just as a reminder, the information in this podcast is for entertainment purposes only and is not to be used as personalized medical advice. Enjoy the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart podcast. I am your host, Dr. Karen Litzy, owner of Karen Litzy Physical Therapy, located in New York City. And today, we're going to talk about something that I can talk about all day, that sort of connection between our emotional health and our physical health, how both of those connect for pretty much everything. And to help us Today, I'm really happy to have on as my guest, Dr. Elizabeth Letchford. She is a clinician, a researcher, and an artist with a PhD in kinesiology and rehabilitation science. She approaches health and movement through the lens of emotional wellness. So it's the perfect person to talk about uh, these intertwined parts of our human experience. So Liz, welcome to the podcast. I'm happy to have you here. Uh, Thanks, Karen. I'm so happy to be here. And now, can you, before we get started, would you mind telling the listeners a little bit more about yourself and how you landed in this intersection of physical, emotional well-being and how that happened for you? Oh, boy. Yeah. Well, I I trained as an athletic trainer um, and continue to do my research in athletic injuries. And so my PhD research big project, the dissertation was on um, the subject of why female athletes, soccer players in particular, are more susceptible to ACL or lower extremity knee injuries, which is like the common pandemic that we speak about when it comes to female athletes and injuries. And through that investigation and deep diving my entire life into this question, I realized that whenever you look up emotional emotions, what's going on in the psyche when it comes to injuries, all of the research out there is after the athletes gotten injured. And when I was interviewing my subjects, I was, you know, there's these amazing female athletes and I was kind of getting to know them. And I was curious about what what is your life like though? Like I knew the researcher in me knew that there were confounding variables like stress, like, hey, I'm trying to apply for colleges and also I'm a soccer athlete. So I've, I've, I play a year round sport and met very few studies take into consideration the actual stress experience and the emotional experience and any sort of past traumatic experience that may be affecting the nervous system, which is then affecting how the body works um, from a neuromuscular perspective. And so I just, I saw that and I went deeper into that. So after I, after I got my PhD, I just started, I, I opened my own practice and I started doing corrective exercise and corrective movement with people and emotions would flow and it would always correlate with an improvement in movement. And so I just started diving deep into the biopsychosocial model of human movement. And it's been incredible. And the one, the biggest takeaway has been the stories that we tell ourselves affect the way our body moves. 
Which makes perfect sense to me, um, given I'm a physical therapist and I see this all the time. How do you explain that to someone coming to you because they feel they might need help with movement and you say, well, it might be part of a past trauma or the stories you tell yourself. And people are like, wait a second, I thought I came to you because you're you know, a kinesiologist and you have your PhD. Why are we talking about this? So how does that conversation happen? Um, and I ask that because there's a lot of clinicians that listen to this podcast. And so I think your advice can be really helpful to those clinicians as well. You know, I've had a big shift in who actually is magnetized to the work that I do. Um, and it came with the evolution of myself, started to magnetize patients, clients who were in resonance with my awareness of my own emotional experience. And so the extent to which I could hold emotional catharsis was parallel to the extent to which I could hold my own emotional catharsis and my own emotional understanding of, hey, this tightness in my hips was actually a, a belief that I was holding onto or a fear that I was holding onto from when I was three years old. Or for example, I... Um, was never able to enter into a biomechanically effective squat. My ankles were tight. My dorsiflexion was so limited. My hips wouldn't internally rotate and my lower back wouldn't um, flex. And whenever I did, my I would get this like I would get this response in my body of panic. So my heart rate would increase and my breath would increase. And I went to years and years. It's one of the reasons I even came into this profession, which I'm sure a lot of clinicians can can understand. Like, oh, I had this pain in my shoulder. I looked into it, went to my own physical therapist and then fell in love with the profession. So same. And so for years, years and years and years, I couldn't figure out why my body feels broken in this way. Why my fascia is so tight? Why I get a panic response whenever I do this? Well, I actually turned to um, a somatic release therapist. I did internal family systems. Are you familiar with internal family systems? So no. it's a psychological framework of um, this understanding that we have different parts of us. Like I have a little girl part and I have my like mother part and I have my protector part. So there's all these different archetypes right the greek theater used to they they kind of it's a derivative of that and um and i was investigating this part of me that um by going into the sensation in my legs in my inability to get into the squat there was an emotional catharsis and without having any memory any visual cognitive memory of this my legs started kicking. I started um, acting as if I wanted, I was saying, get off, get off, get off. And I was like, whoa. And because I have the training I do, I was like, well, as it was happening, I'm like researching myself, which is kind of our plight as clinicians. <laughs> I was like, ooh, what's happening? Um, and I was thinking, wow, this must be pre-verbal because I have no memory of anything like this. I'm lucky enough, privileged enough to have no memory of anyone, me needing to say get off of anybody with mm -hmm. anybody. And so I called my mom the next day and I said, hey, did anything traumatic happen to my, me or my body when I was a baby? And she knew right away and had never told me this. She was like, yeah, when you were young, when you were six months old, you used to 
hold your breath, turn blue and pass out. So we were freaking out. We took you to the hospital and as protocol, you know, back in the eighties, they would test for meningitis. So I got a spinal Mm. tap at six months old, which the position, the standard position for a spinal tap, I don't know if it's still this, is flexing your spine, flexing your hips, and dorsiflexing your ankles. And so no amount of myofascial release or dry needling or anybody's any kind of process was ever going to help me until I completed a somatic fear. And so that completely changed everything for me because now I'm like, holy moly, I have been trying to increase my dorsiflexion to feel strong in my squat for over 15 years and with no, absolutely no progress, only frustration. And immediately my body started unwinding itself. I started doing like spiral motions, unwinding, click, 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 click in my pop and in, in, in my hip and eventually got to get into a deep squat without pain. And I just was like, oh, what? And so it completely changed everything for me. And so then I started getting really, really curious about well, what else in my tight body or my clients' tight bodies is actually derived from an, from a story they were telling themselves, from a trauma, from a re- reenacting, a fear of reenacting, a past fear. And it just completely changed everything for me. And when it, when you said you sort of complete, you had to com- completed somatic fear, what does that mean? Oh, yeah. So... If we have an unresolved trauma or a story in our mind, like it's not safe to be powerful, it's not safe to make money, it's not safe to mm-hmm. whatever your story might, it's not safe to be a woman. Like there's a lot of stories we tell ourselves subconsciously. And each one of those stories is begging you to complete it to find the empowerment. So our systems, as you know, homeostasis are always Mm -hmm. trying to maintain harmony while our emotional systems are also trying to do that. So through our relationships, we tend, or our lives, we tend to play out those parts of us that are trying to complete the trauma and like, okay, trying to prove and prove and prove I am worthy. I am worthy, but there is a root story. And if we can unwind our subconscious enough to get to that root story, it actually has physical manifestations. And that's what happened to me. You know, my, I could have never imagined, I could have never imagined that was the story, but my body remembered, you know, mm-hmm. my body kept the score as is such as a the book says. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so when I mean complete the trauma, it's no longer reacting or we say reacting because we're literally acting out a fear in the past. We are no longer present or calm. We are now, you know, some people might call it a flashback or maybe we're in anxiety. We're not, we're in the past or we're in the future. We're not mm-hmm. in the present. We are reacting to a situation. When we can complete it, meaning find the empowerment of it, find in our flesh in our systems in our fascia in our nervous system we can and in our brain because they are not separate Mm -hmm. our subconscious and in our conscious brain we can come to peace with the story in our mind and our body that is a completion of of 
of a fear or a trauma. And it's just like, you know, the feeling of forgiveness or the feeling of like, wow, that thing used to bother me so much or, or, but, and, and then I realized I just needed to, you know, experience deep unconditional love. Cause I never got that as a child or, you know, whatever you're going to therapy for, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. it plays out in your actual physical body. And so I see that over and over and over again with the people that I work with. Yeah. And I think your story is a really powerful one and it, it just goes to show that interconnectedness that we have between our emotional self and our conscious and subconscious. And, you know, because you, you were like, well, wait, like my heart rate would go up. I get this. It's not like you're making that happen and you're not imagining it. Like it's happening. And I um have told this story before on the podcast, but I have a long history of chronic neck pain that is now for the most part under control. But a couple of years ago, again, when I didn't really have any pain, it was 2016, I was in Disneyland in California in your state, your home state. And I was with friends and, you know, we waited in line to go on what I thought was some sort of a jungle cruise. Um, So you're in line for what, 40 minutes, right? If you don't get the fast pass. So we're in line forever. We, we're outside, we finally get inside and we get up and there's warning signs everywhere of like, you know, neck and back pain, or if you have back pain, like warning, warning, running, right? And so immediately when I saw those signs, it wasn't like, oh, let me think about this. Is this going to make me immediately sweaty palms, pupils dilated, heart rate up, uh, respiratory rate up you know, darting around, how can I get out of here? Looking for a door to get out. And that was automatic. Now, luckily I was with two physical therapists who are very in tune with the biopsychosocial model of pain care. And they were like, okay, it only tilts, you know, 10 degrees, 10 degrees. It starts and it stops. You start and stop all day. You're in New York, you get in a taxi, you start and stop. You don't have any problems. It just tilts it. So for me, it was an explanation of what to maybe expect. And so I did get on the ride and I got off and I was fine. And then I went on another ride and I was fine. Now, if I didn't, I would have gotten off and I probably would have had neck pain, even though I never went on the ride because then I would have felt bad. I would have felt bad for my friends. I would have felt like a loser. I would have felt, and you use the term broken, which is a word that I've used in the past, but instead, I was able to get on and get off. And I was like, I feel okay. So all of a sudden, my nervous system, the dial went down by like, I don't know, a lot. <laughs> and then I was able to go on another ride and had a lovely time. Wow. But if not, my nervous system and all those emotions would have taken, it, it was overwhelming if I didn't have those people with me. And that's our threshold. That's our like bucket of capacity to hold. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes we get disease or um, dysfunction, not when we are overloaded. And so that's the unique thing about pain is it's really just once you reach capacity, that's when you notice it. Mm -hmm. The the impetus is usually always there, especially if it's a subconscious pain, a subconsciously manifest, a subconscious manifestation of the pain. Um, 
there's usually the root cause is always there, but it's just like when everything else, the inputs, the sensations are filling your bucket and you overflow. Mm -hmm. So any ways that you can let out the bucket a little bit, right. You know, by having your friends like walk your mind through, cause our mind causes most of our, of our psychological pain. Mm -hmm. Um, to walk your mind through the logical safety to be like you're safe and once your body feels right. I'm safe some of the buck some of the water leaks out and now you got you got some capacity so maybe if you get a thrown around a little bit you know your neck has to contract a little bit mm-hmm. um, it, it's not overwhelming to your system right and I loved again that you use that word safety um there's two researchers, Lorimer Mosley and David Butler out of Australia, who talk a lot about pain and movement. And they have uh, this part of a new book they did, Explain Pain Supercharged. They talk talk about sims and dims, which is safeties in me and dangers in me. And the hypothesis is if throughout your day you have more safeties than dangers, you'll have less pain. Sure. And so how can you fill up your life to your point with more safeties and what does that look like? And it's emotional. It's what, and it's, it's uh, sensory. So what you smell, hear, touch, see, it all comes into the brain and it all affects what we do every day, how we move, how we think and what we feel. And that's one of the things that I teach clinicians, actually, people who are holding safe space or who have a desire to hold safe space because they're noticing that their patients are having emotional release. And they're like, uh, I wasn't really trained for this. Right. I'm not a therapist. And it's like, we're getting to a place where because therapy, somatic therapy, talking about your feelings is less taboo. People and the patients we're working with are more open about it. And so, you know, what used to be reserved for just like hairdressers and therapists, (laughs) we're now experiencing in the clinic. Mm -hmm. And so um, what I teach people how to do is to, it's really internally. So like I said, the more that I was able to hold my own self and understand and feel safe with my emotional like depth and breadth in each of my archetypes, in each of the, the categories of emotions, the more that I wasn't affected, I didn't feel energetically drained by other people's emotional mm. catharsis. And I started magnetizing patients who had very complex trauma, who had been to all the therapists, all the everything, and needed something that was more integrative. And so that's one of my passions is like is teaching people how to expand their capacity to understand and feel safe expressing the different parts of themselves. I call them different archetypes. And then once you meet them in someone else, you're like, oh yeah, I know that. Even if someone's rude, you're like, listen, I know rude because I've met that in me. And I'm not othering it. And so like, I understand that at the core of rude is usually sadness. And so you're just, it just poof, it breezes right past you. So when you have your rude patient who desperately is in so much pain, clearly, and so much sadness, mm-hmm. you're not putting up an energetic wall, like what a, you know what, and, and you're really able to hold it and actually help that person. So once I started stretching my archetypes, I started magnetizing the the wildest, wildest stories, deep, crazy, complex trauma, and able to not have that be so heavy for me. 
Right. And I think that's really important for a clinician because it's a fast track to burnout. Sure. Right. That, I mean, it's great. Like empathy is a huge part of being a clinician. It's a huge part of a motivational interview, right. To try and get people to open up and create that therapeutic relationship. But if we're taking every, everyone else's in, and then we don't know how to let that go. Yikes. Right. So that's a, that's a, big, big, um, super speed highway to burnout and, and place on top of that. I mean, I I don't treat this way, but there are therapists who are seeing 14 to 20 patients a day. So can you imagine? I know, (laughs) I know. And so can you imagine how many layers you can't go deep with them. Yeah. Right. And and that's okay. And, And like, that's great volume and, and, um, but yeah, you actually can't, you couldn't possibly really. Right. And so, so if you can't get in mm. at that level, do you feel like you, you're might be missing out on a, an opportunity to help that patient? What are your thoughts on that? I mean, it depends on how, on, on what your intention is as a practitioner, on it, um, to be quite honest, if your intention is to make as much money as possible, then you're, you're doing what you're doing, you know, mm-hmm. and like, don't, you know, if that's your story, you would go for it. Um, or you could charge more. If you have a feel of calling to go deeper with your, with your patients, you could charge more by being an Epic space holder and actually diving into the root cause because there's always an emotional, always a subconscious cause. And, and I was, I was one, I was one such peer reviewed or die clinician, you know, like it's, it's not in, if it's not in the the journals, I'm not going to do it. It's not safe for me. And that was me actually not trusting my intuition. And so, and it takes, it took me years to be able to really trust the, both my intuition and my clinical training and to Mm -hmm. weave them in and be a human with someone and actually be like, Hey, we, all of this happened in relationship, all of this, all of your um, insidious onset pain, which is my specialty happened in relationship you know (laughs) your acl tear happened on the field but why were your hips weak in the first place why was your pelvic? why do you have not access to your pelvic floor why are your obturator internus so tight why 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 and you get down to because i don't feel safe in my body and Mm -hmm. if you take any injury even if it's a catastrophic injury with injury within reason like you know you get hit by a car it's different but if you if you have any sort of like non-contact injury, you can usually trace it down to a, here's how I didn't feel safe in my body or safe in myself. And so being able to have the training and the um, emotional wherewithal and the energetic capacity to hold that, what I've seen is so much more impactful than when I was just you know, doing all of the, let's do the biomechanical measurements on people and get the goniometer out for whatever that's worth. And 
and like, you know, stretch this way and let's do some TheraBand, like, no. <laughs> and so that all comes after I reset the nervous system. So mm -hmm. there's a nervous system, we'll call it an archetype, an imprint that this person, any one of your patients is holding. And that injury has a nervous system imprint, we'll call it a character. And so whenever that injury happens or whenever that pain gets exacerbated, it's because their body is embodying this character. And that character might be them when they were five and like daddy was really scary. And so a trigger would happen at work or on the soccer field and their coach yelled at them or whatever mm -hmm. happened at work. And they automatically go into the character, the nervous system archetype of daddy did something scary and their body reacts in fear even though they're perfectly safe actually in the moment their body's living in the past and so unearthing all of those characters is that is so fun and has to happen through the subconscious but awareness of how the nervous system works with the subconscious is an impeccable skill for a clinician to have it is knowing that hey, I don't think that all of our dry needling is working. And I've tried everything. We're doing all the fancy, eccentric, repositioning. We're doing it. We're throwing all of our knowledge at it. And it's still, we're still seeing a regression or we're seeing like a very small improvement maybe mm -hmm. there's something subconscious going on here now you have a choice as a clinician to say I feel comfortable holding that or I don't feel comfortable holding that and then you you invite the patient to go see maybe a somatic practitioner someone who who does mind and body not just mind Mm -hmm. So that they can start to get connected. But I, I really recommend to any clinician or any person who's working with a clinician to start to just ask, like, what is this story here? What am I believing, actually? Maybe, maybe I'm not getting better because I'm not fully diving in to or releasing my, my grief about my knee, my, my anger about my, mm -hmm. you know, and that's, that's a lot of insidious onset and chronic pain is just, I haven't had a safe place to feel or who am I, if I admit this, or um, I'm not that I'm not that and shame. And so the fear and shame, mm -hmm. we will do anything as humans to avoid fear and shame. And so just the awareness of that in ourselves and in our patients is, is so powerful. And Something that you just said, like, who am I, you know, with without this or with this? And I think something interesting can happen in people with more long-term or persistent pain is if they don't have the pain anymore, which is essentially we think what they want, but who are they without it? And that's fearful, to say, okay, well, now I don't have pain, but wait a second. Well, what does that mean for me? Yeah. Or when you have people, I can speak to my own experience, but as my, I had pain every day, right? Every day for like, I don't know, seven or eight years. Um, and I remember as the pain started to dissipate, I remember waking up one morning and being like, oh, okay, I don't have any pain. Wait a second. 
And then I was anxious that I didn't have pain because then you're like, well, of course it's going to happen. Like you're always waiting for the other shoe to drop, you know, and I'm sure you experienced that with some of the clients that you work with. So how do you help navigate them through those really choppy waters as things are getting better for them? But there's the fear and anxiety around all of that. Yeah. I see that in so many manifestations with my, with the people that I work with. Um, People who have had this story since they can remember, since they're five years old and they actually have to, it's like a bird that's lived in a cage and knows its walls and knows its limitations, feels safe, understands who it is within the context of the cage something in its nature realizes that it's a bird and it wants to fly. And once it's let out of the cage, it's like, Oh, but who am I if I can fly? And so we, we do this strange thing for survival where we tangle up our pain into our egos and our identities. And we say, I am this pain. Mm -hmm. It's not the pain because The pain represents a story that we're telling ourselves. So for example, my my pain was um, the story that I was saying was I'm not safe to surrender. I'm not safe to let go. So my pupils were huge since I can remember. They were huge. I was constantly in a state of panic. My whole system was in a state of panic. I mean, you don't get a PhD unless you're like in a state of panic, you know? Like, <laughs> that's I, got probably, I think that's probably true. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, go, go, go. Because if I surrender, if I stop, I might die. You know, that's the, that's the non-logical story I was telling myself. And so my identity of I'm not safe to surrender is actually feels safer then who am I if I can fully surrender to all of my pain, all of my pleasure, all of my sensations? Um, they did this. They did a study. I'm not sure what the journal of the study was, but uh, the study was published where they would um, electrocute small electrical zaps on a metronome cadence. Okay, so at a cadence, you could expect zoop, zoop, zoop. Mm-hmm. and then they also did it where. There was still the metronome cadence, but you didn't know whether you were going to be zapped. Oh, that's the worst. Exactly. And that's <laughs> where it's yeah. like you'd literally have less pain, but the, the the safety in knowing that you can expect pain is more safe to your body. So we sure. choose, we choose the lesson there is we choose familiar, even if it's more painful. And so mm-hmm. what I help people do is, is lasso those stories. Um, I involve a lot of uh, ritual theater in the work that I do. So my work is highly unconventional. It's rooted in deep science and nervous system and somatic release, but I don't know who else is doing this. Um, So I do a lot of like scene play and ritual theater where I'm actually acting out your subconscious or I'm speaking to a relationship and and, um, becoming one of the constellations in your life. So I'll act as your mother and you can scream at her and and have this relational dynamic in person. So it's like if internal family systems like had a face and a flannel shirt on, that would be, mm-hmm. and so um, 
And so I give people an opportunity and then we do the somatic unwinding and then we do fascial release because we released the tension that was holding all of that contortion together anyways. And so it takes a lot to have the emotional courage to say, oh, this thing that I don't want to admit that I am, I'm holding on to my pain. I like it here in, in being suppressed. I, mm-hmm. I feel safer being in this toxic relationship. We don't want to admit that. We want to say to the world, I'm a victim. I'm sorry. I really, it's a bad, it's, it's, he's so mean to me and da, 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 da. And it's like, sure, within reason, like for the most part, like you're actually, you like this. And so that's what we find when we go into the subconscious and I help people feel safe admitting that. And then it's like the weight is lifted on their off of their mm-hmm. shoulders. They've admitted the thing that they've been so scared that's been held up in their nervous system to admit. And they feel free and they feel light and they laugh. When we can laugh at our silly things, that dissipates all, that's the best. It dissipates all the energy. And so that's my that's my artistry as I get people to see the silly narrative that they're telling themselves. And we play it out in either in with the body or mm-hmm. psychologically. And then we laugh about it. You know, we get to the resolution of that trauma. So and how do you incorporate, or do you, I should say, incorporate breathwork or breathwork techniques into what you do as well? Yeah. So I actually, from this um, embodied understanding of our nervous system's ability to pull us into the past, even though we're in this present moment, um, I developed a breath practice I call spirokinetics. It means breath movement. And so what I have people do is I have them pull in their entire capacity to inhale and then their entire capacity to exhale. So they breathe out all of their air. So we're really engaging the diaphragm here. And then what I have them do is I put their awareness on the tension that they feel in that inhale. And so um, that's a measure of the amount of sympathetic tension that's in your system. It's a, it's something that they can hold on to and understand like, wow, I'm in panic. Now the extreme version of that is a panic attack where you're so in that tension field that you can barely breathe in. There's a mm-hmm. wall there and you can barely breathe out. There's a wall. So the wall, you know, at any given time, if you're not in a panic attack, you have some, some sort of tension. Now the goal mm-hmm. is pure presence, pure flow state, as the athletes will say, pure flow and the breath is smooth and easy and so if we all just breathe in fully right now you can feel as you inhale the straw starts to get smaller and smaller and smaller and then same on the exhale the straw it's easy to breathe out and then it's like ooh, now i have to actually push to get out and so inspire kinetics the inhale is a measure of you showing up in presence how you should and the exhale is a measure of how safe you feel to let go of who you were in that moment in that inhale so that you might inhale again into actual presence so it's letting go of that identity and breathing into what you're supposed to be doing what you're what your best what is who are you in this moment and so the breath that spire kinetic breath is what anchors the practice and what it does is it keeps people in presence while they're unwinding everything from the past. So I'm not a therapist. We're not going into the past. We're actually saying what is showing up and poking you and torturing you in the present moment? What stories? 
we don't even need to know the stories. You are going to unwind. And what happens is people then, as they notice what they do with the tension that they notice, I have them put that tension in their body. And every single person starts to unwind along the fascial lines themselves. So I'm, I'm teaching them how to access their body's own internal wisdom to unwind. And the, the thing is they'll start putting themselves in positions that look like yoga positions, just mm -hmm. intuitively. They'll put themselves in positions that look like chiropractic positions intuitively. So I really teach people how to tap into their body's own wisdom to know how to release their system. We all know, like, you know, you work with someone, we've had even patients, mm -hmm. like, no, it's a little, oh no, it's a little, can I, let me just do it. You know, our bodies know exactly what we need. We just haven't been given permission to listen or even taught how to listen. So that's what mm -hmm. I do. Okay. That sounds amazing. Now, do you, I mean, I, I know I've certainly have this happen, but how do you react if someone gets emotional? You know, and I'm sure a lot of clinicians out there can relate to this. That sometimes people may start crying or, you know, or, or maybe start to hyperventilate or start to have these physiological reactions to movement or breath work. So what do you do in those cases? Yeah. Oh, I'm so glad you asked that. Uh, so it's really important if you're ever to venture into this work, even intuitively to become trauma informed, to know the signs of someone going back in and replaying a trauma of being in the overload state and helping them somatically and psychologically return back to presence. And, um, a lot of that is just orienting to your orienting to your environment, um, there's certain touches that can or cannot, depending on the, what the person needs, be very helpful to contain somebody's panic. Um, um, and I, I, in, <laughs> the whole point of working with me is to allow space to get emotional. So, um, so what I do is I just hold, I hold deep safety and containment. So emotions don't feel safe. If there's nowhere for them to go, if it's like, I don't feel held, I'm sitting here, we've all, you know, maybe we've experienced it where I'm at a party and something triggered me and I get emotional and it's like, no one's holding me and you kind of feel like, wow, this isn't the right place for it. Mm -hmm. So if you feel really safe, which most of us feel safe with like our deep, intimate partners, you know, our, our best friends, we feel safe to finally, they're like, are you okay, honey? And you're like, you know? <laughs> and then it just finally, all comes out. Yeah. You finally feel safe to let go. So um, that's what I do. And I teach people how to actually hold that safe space and to find that safety and to not be afraid of those big emotions. For me, there is, I don't remember the last time I was like, I was like, oh, that's a lot, you know, and people have screaming, people have admitted to gnarly things. They have gone into a memory, like opened up a memory of something really intense that happened to them. And all of it is, I just because I've gone there in myself. It's like, I know, I understand. Like, I'm here for you and I'm not trying to fix anything. I'm just guiding you and being a wall that you can thrash against if you need to. I'm going to be soft arms for to hold you. So whatever that whatever that part of you needs in the moment, my mastery and my my continual working towards mastery is can I can I shape shift and match you mm. as a being can I shape shift my emotional state 
to be what you need in this moment. And the shadow of that has been growing up. I was a people pleaser. I would shape shift to become what people needed. And so mm-hmm. now I realize the therapeutic. You can harness that as a superpower yes. now instead yes, of it I'm being like, oh, like a people pleaser. Yes. Like, oh, and so, you know, I had to negotiate with myself. Like, it's okay to shape shift. Um, and that has been my gift now is showing up and being the thing that somebody needs. And it's been really liberating for myself and others to just be okay and to be a safe space for people to show up no matter what, actually, no matter what. Yeah, well, it it sounds like something a lot of people I know with including myself yeah um it's one of those things like man i wish i knew about this yeah you know 10 years ago or 15 (laughs) years ago would have saved myself some years maybe 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 not i don't know um you know hindsight is always 2020 right yes and so i want to talk um a little bit uh about uh, body church, right? Upcoming program that you have. Um, so talk a little bit more about that. Where can people find it? What is it? Sure. So uh, I, I create, I've created, um, a place for, uh, my community and anyone interested in, in exploring these different archetypes and okay I I need a safe space to move and also if I want to cry to cry or if I want to laugh to laugh like um, I've I've created a space I call it body church and uh, I invite people I teach uh, a weekly class um, where that's that's virtual and then I also have a place with different almost different tracks, like different curriculums where, so the main body church class that everyone comes to every week is, is always a, a, takes you on a journey using the spirokinetic breath technique. And I take you on a journey through different archetypes. You kind of get to understand and get a little taste of like four or five different archetypes. Now I teach the whole thing in freestyle spoken word poetry, which is where art and science meets because poetry they've done studies even on babies they're just like so present because they're trying to their brains are always trying to complete like what's the next word going to be so I teach it in rhyme and I teach I like I guide you through these different archetypes in rhyme so your brain doesn't have to think about anything it just kind of latches on to the little story I'm telling this little lullaby that I guide you through for 40 minutes and then once you get into the membership, Body Church membership, there's curriculum and courses. For example, um, I have something called Dragon School, <laughs> which is for people who are really craving stepping into their power um, and actual embodied power. They might have noticed like, man, every time that my boss tells me, like it feels tells me to do something, like I feel this reaction in my system and I... I don't have a good relationship with my true safe embodied power. I call that archetype the dragon. And for me, I always got a dragon behind me so I don't have to be the dragon. I don't have to breathe fire every time somebody does me wrong because I'm like, mm-hmm. I can be myself and present because I know if I need to. Your girl's a dragon. Uh-huh. Um, and I actually, so <laughs> the only place that I really 
discovered there is any sort of training around space holding, going into catharsis, somatic sensations, whether pleasurable or painful, was actually the 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 uh, dominatrix. And so I trained with other dominatrixes in dominatrix school for six months to immerse myself in the world of somatic space holding at the deepest mm -hmm. level. And so dragon school is what I wish that I had, which was doesn't necessarily have to be super kinky, doesn't necessarily have to even be in the sexual space. Um, because all of you is welcome, sometimes people experience pleasure, and but it's not, we're not going into pleasure. It's just, can you embody your dragon enough to hold impeccable space for yourself and others? And so, and be, not be afraid of being dominant, not being afraid of being in surrender. And so, um, so that's what you get at Body Church. You get, you get uh, a, a beautiful art meets science, like safe on both ends, meaning mm -hmm. it's rooted in physiology. I studied the body all. And, and, and then also like, I love you. And so come and we're going to have a safe space and I'm going to teach you how to listen to you. I'm not telling you how to move. I'm helping your body's wisdom come online. So that's the premise of body church and the community's epic. Cause it's a bunch of people who are like, yeah, I'm not, I, I respect professionals and I respect, you know, people like us who are, are just like, hi, I'm here. I've, I've got the training. And in order to collaborate in my therapeutic interventions and have some say and not give all my power away to, you know, people like us clinicians who mm -hmm. also are like, I don't know, I'm not in your body. Um, here's what I learned in school. Here's what my intuition is saying, but like, you know, the most best right. thing for you. Uh, and so I help people advocate for themselves through embodying these different characters and allowing a place where you can move and cry. You know, I, I've been to yoga classes and I'm like, I just want to cry or scream right mm -hmm. now. And then because that trigger happened in my nervous system, but it wasn't the environment where I could do that. It kind of gets stirred up. I kind of feel cranky the rest of the day. So right. uh, body church is a place where all of you is welcome. And you stay safe in the present. We're not going into past stories. You're like, your nervous system stays in the present. So it's a very safe space to unwind. Well, where can people find it if they want more information or um, find you, I should say, find you, <laughs> yeah. find that, find more information about what you do. And if someone is listening to this and saying like, man, I, I would like to work with you. How can they do that? Yeah. So please, 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 if this resonated with you, if you feel, um, yeah, if you feel a deep connection to the work or you're curious, send me a message. You can find me at lizletchford.com. And if you're curious about Body Church, you want to come unwind and learn Spire Kinetics, uh, that's bodychurch.com. Uh, and then I also, if you're curious about what the heck, Liz, what is this ritual theater, like a therapeutic theater thing that you do where you embody other people's characters? Um, I put on performances all over the world. So I do I do a show where I take people through a live experience live um, on a stage where I poetically <laughs> tell the story of their nervous system. So in that way, I call myself a body whisperer because I don't know what else to call myself. I'm, uh -huh. like, I'm no longer an athletic <laughs> trainer. We're way outside of scope. <laughs> uh -huh. and, so, and so body whisperer is how I practice. And um, 
yeah so that's what I've come up with and it's been so effective and so fun for me and also like just the the people that I've met who are so magnetized to this kind of work where it's the human I'm meeting you at the human level I'm not sitting here saying hey I know what's going on with your neck I'm saying let's talk about what might be going on with your neck I want you to be an equal part of this Mm -hmm. yeah yeah perfect and now before we wrap things up I have one more question. It's one that I ask everyone, knowing where you are now in your life and your career, what advice would you give to your 20-year-old self? Oh, her. 20-year-old Liz. Let me talk to you, honey. <laughs> Listen, you're gonna you're gonna feel some crazy stuff. And I really want you to know that it's all for a reason that all of the pain that you're going through, all the struggle that you're going through is strengthening you and training you for what you're going to hold in 15 years. I promise you. So it's okay. Feel it. Don't, don't not feel it, baby. Feel it. (laughs) Excellent advice. Well, Liz, thank you so much for uh, coming on the podcast today. And again, if you miss it, you can find out more about Liz at lizletchford.com. Uh, We will have links to everything. So if you're watching this on YouTube, well, if you're watching this on YouTube, you'll see how well we coordinated our outfits for today without even speaking to each other ahead of time. Um, And if you're not and you're whatever platform you're listening on, we'll have links to everything in the show notes. You can just go down to the show notes and one click will take you to all of the links that we mentioned today. Um, So Liz, again, thank you so much. This was great. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. And uh, to all the listeners, thanks so much for listening. Have a great couple of days and stay healthy, wealthy, and smart. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to leave us your questions and comments at podcast.healthywealthysmart.com.